So a lot. So then when black people see other black people going outside of a norm in a way that makes them feel like, like low key on the lowest of keys, jealous, but they would never admit that. So what you, what do you do? You project that into judgment. Welcome to Black Girl Voices, a podcast created to cultivate change through conversation, community, and education while centering, uplifting, and amplifying the voices of Black women, girls, and femmes. Here we will talk about everything from trending topics to Black history to our own personal experiences as Black women. It's like a coffee chat with your best girlfriends. We will laugh, cry, keep it real, and most importantly, get uncomfortable. We are your hosts, Siobhan Montgomery Haynes and Caroline J. Sumlin. Come on in, girl. We have a lot to talk about. Hey, everyone. Welcome back to Black Girl Voices. I'm Caroline J. Sumlin. And I'm Siobhan Montgomery Haynes. And if you listened to the previous episode, then you know that this is part two. Um, We had a lot to talk about and, and say about stereotypes and how they affect the Black community, but... We also know that there are some harmful stereotypes that we perpetuate within our own community and um, some harmful teachings and and, and toxic, toxic learning that takes place. And so we wanted to kind of hold space to break some of those down the best we could, because we know that there's quite a few. (laughs) Yeah, definitely. Um, Well, I think it's important to, number one, if you haven't listened to the first episode, not the Go first episode. I should <laughs> let, let me let me backtrack. If you have not listened to the previous episode, go listen to that episode um, because that's talking about where the majority of the harmful black stereotypes mm, yeah. come from. We talk about historically speaking, presently speaking, and um, and how those stereotypes, of course cause further harm and essentially exasperate problems even more. Um, There's, there's a lot to uncover there and unpack there, but that episode was primarily from, I won't say just like a white, that's not like from a white perspective, obviously not from white perspective. We're not, we're not white. Hello. But more more like for the, from the perspective of these are the stereotypes that were projected onto the black community slash caused by white supremacy Mm -hmm. and systemic racism. And here is the result of that. So in this episode, we're taking it a step further and talking about some of the same stereotypes, but also some additional ones that are very much within the black community itself like the the things that we think about each other and harmful things we've been taught about each other and and um how a little bit about I guess how that came to be and and also hopefully bringing about ways that these um harmful stereotypes can begin to be, be excuse me begin to be um deconstructed deconstructed is a good word thank you um there's like there's a word that I can't think of right now um within ourselves 
But it's important to note that regardless of the stereo- the internal stereotypes or the external stereotypes about the Black community, they are all rooted in, stem from, are caused by white supremacy. Yeah. Hands down. Why do you say that? Because I was going to add that in there. Yeah, exactly. So that is like the baseline thing that I wanted to say. And then the second thing I wanted to say is that we are having this conversation from the perspective of two Black women. Always remember that Black people are not a monolith. So what we are saying, what we are thinking, what we're sharing is just our perspective. It does not mean if you are not a person, if you're not a Black person specifically, because even if you're a different person of color, but you're not a Black person, what we share with you today is not to be used against us. It is not to be used to feel, and even in the, in the previous episode, not to be used to conti- con- continue to feel your own racism, not to be used in any sort of harmful way. Or justify way. And, your and, own racist thoughts, you know? Right. Justification. Um, and, and, uh, and also not to be commented on in a way that gives some sort of opinion or saviorism response that that's not what we're this is not the point of that episode excuse me that is not the point of this episode right um what one thing that I just before we dived in I think like throughout the years one thing that I've kind of realized is a lot of our harmful stereotypes come from um well we know they you know they're rooted in white supremacy but they also come from um a, the, the need to be the proximity to whiteness, because we, we know that that proximity to whiteness feels safer. And mm-hmm. then B, the, the, it's, it's how we teach our kids that to, to, to stay safe, right? Like, if you do this, you'll be safer. If you, if you act this way, you'll be safer. If you, if you walk and talk this way, if you code switch, like we code switch, mm-hmm. um, many of us have been taught that from our parents yeah I mean I know I have like I was not allowed to speak any kind of broken English grammar anything slang any of that um because it was just it I was somehow going to be seen as equal if I fit in and so a lot of it comes from our parents and, and I'm not saying it's the right way it's it's absolutely toxic but a lot of it comes from our parents not knowing how to keep us safe and that's that's the, that's the best way for them. They're like, okay, if mm-hmm. I do this, I can keep them safe, you know? Yeah. And it, even like, if you think back to like respectability politics, that's why, you know, they marched in suits and things like that because they looked more um, respectable and they looked less dangerous. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yep, exactly. And it's not, it wasn't the fault of our parents and their parents, previous generations, et cetera. That's all they knew. So all, all of right. the things that have unfortunately in a harmful way, been passed down to us are are it's it's exactly it's what we mean when we say generational trauma this wasn't generational let's come up with these harmful things on purpose this is generational trauma being traumatized from white supremacy from racism from Mm -hmm. slavery from Jim Crow from all of it and operating out of a place of fear at all times and and constant, like constant trauma, not a, a one-time thing, but constant trauma. And this was the only response that our parents and previous generations could 
have that 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 was literally the best that they could they could do you know so I think it's so important to really make it clear that when we talk about generational um harmful behaviors that it's not out of a place of fault or blame it's out of place of acknowledgement and recognition so that things can be better as we Mm -hmm. move forward right Right. Cause I, I think two can be the same, right? Like we can acknowledge the toxicity and at the same time, acknowledge where it came from right. and know that it did not come from us. Um, when we're, when we're speaking about this topic specifically, um, should, should we go into some, should we talk about maybe yeah. some like stereotypes within our own community? I mean, mm-hmm. um, you know, I know we t- touched a lot about the, the thug stereotype, um, in our previous episode Mm -hmm. but I know that that's you know something within our community that you know our parents would try to get us to stay away from I mean not necessarily the thug but the the kind of kids we hang out with right so like the troubled kids maybe that are are that you know might I don't want to say that are getting in trouble but they just they don't look the part and so I know a lot of times parents will be like we don't want you hanging out with those bad kids right Mm -hmm. And not knowing how they are perpetuating harm by putting a stereotype and a label on those kids, all they know is they know how the world treats Black children already, and then they know that the world does not save or hold space for Black children who are troubled, mm-hmm. and they don't want you in the mix of that. Um, right. And so instead of like explaining that or explain, you know, explain how we can help, it's just kind of like, no, I got to protect my own, stay away. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I, I would say that's, that's a big, that's a big one growing up besides I, I won't even dive into like colorism and things. Cause I feel like colorism is like a, that could be a whole separate. A, topic. Yeah. It's yeah, that's definitely its own episode. Um, yeah, I mean, I think that's, and that, that's, this is an important one to talk about. It's, it's not one I want to stay on for a whole long time because I think we talked about it a lot in the last episode but specifically how we interpret that stereotype within our community you know it's it's we mentioned in the last episode about how things negative things become cult cult, excuse me cultural for us yeah so I found myself I was I was raised very much like you with both of my parents being um, educators and I would say, you know, middle-class Black family, pretty standard middle-class Black family, um, college graduates. My father had a PhD. So that is, you know, a lot of people that come from Black families in our generation are first-time college grads. That was not my case. I was not right. like the first time to be in college. I had, you know, two college-educated Black parents. Um, I had, you know, like I said, not only was my father a professor, not only did he have his doctorate degree, but in was a professor, but he was like, you know, a very integral black scientist at 3M. Like he was a very huge deal in the twin cities um, and all these things. So while that's awesome that I had these role models, it was also something that like my father often would say very negative things about mm-hmm. black men in the inner city. And I would call them out on that. I would be like, you know, that's 
it's style, it's culture, it's hip hop. It's not something that always means criminal or thug. And he often, and he was somebody that could pass for white as well, even though he experienced so much racism growing up in New Orleans that he was somebody, it it was, his childhood was proof that it didn't matter how white you looked. He was treated, called the N-word, you know, beaten up for trying to vote, et cetera, et cetera, just like any other black person was. But get over to the other side of adulthood, get some credentials, get a PhD, et cetera, et cetera, you know, become somebody, he was, he was somebody that if you did not know he was black and you were a white person and you had a conversation with him, he didn't have enough of that voice that a, a men, most, I would say, black people have a, an intonation, not even just with Ebonics, but just an intonation in our, in our voice that, Usually you can, if you're, if you're one of us, if you're kinfolk, you can you hear it a little you, bit. You can usually tell when someone's black. But we play that game. Oh, can you tell they're black? Can you, can you tell? I can tell they're black. Right, like right. I literally, I grew up playing with that game, playing that game. But my dad was somebody that you couldn't really tell. Like you really couldn't. So you could be talking to him and with his fair skin. And especially when he went all gray, would not have known if this man was black or white, unless he told you. Right. So I think that that play, obviously that not only played to his favor, but he, you, you get on this other side, not, not, he, not that he, he didn't, I mean, he never forgot where he came from. He was an alpha. He was all these things, but an alpha, like alpha phi alpha for those of y'all don't know. <laughs> I had to clarify real quick. <laughs> I was like, um, they, they, they might not all know. <laughs> alpha phi alpha fraternity incorporated. You know, he was, he was uh, an alpha. So, but it was just something about him that was like, removed as well from of course younger up and coming right yeah he saw that as negative very negative didn't like that I listened to hip-hop didn't like if any sort of slang or ebonics started to come out of Mm -hmm. my mouth any of that my mom was a little different in the fact that she was like a fan of like the code switch. She was like, as long as you can code switch, but like, there's a time and a place where we going to be black and there's time and a place where we're, right. <laughs> where right. we're not. So I kind of learned a lot more of that, like being relaxed and being cultural and listening to different kinds of music. And she was accepting of hip hop and things like that. So I had two different, you know, kind right. of perspectives. perspectives. I, from both parents, it was still like, well, what we're not going to do is you know, look or sound or act like thugs or like we're from the hood. And there were certain right. things I wasn't allowed to do. Like my mom never wanted me to have braided hair. Mm. She never wanted me to braid my hair. Oh, wow. Like not like I had like, like two or three braids at a time. Like she would do usually just one, two braids. But not all around. But not all around braids. So I am like one of those black people that oftentimes feels like I don't count. I, it took me a long time to feel like I counted because I never had my hair braided. Right. I just never. And and her reason for that was that she thought it looked hood. She thought it looked Get, ghetto. Ghetto. Right. To be honest, yeah. like that's mm-hmm. supposed to be real. She she would use those words like it looks ghetto. She also would say you don't need it. Like I, you know, why would I do that to your hair when you don't really need it? If I can braid, if I'm gonna, if I can put two braids in your hair every right. couple of days wow and you're I like uh me. mom because i want to connect with right and i know my community all, and they look so cute and one of my black friends have braids but me right and they and look I, so cute i remember like i had a friend tell me once that like she wouldn't sit next we were like the only two black kids 
at our school. And she told me once that she would not sit next to me at lunch if I didn't have my hair braided and if I didn't bring a cold lunch. Because <laughs> I always had. <laughs> She's like, uh-uh, you too uppity, Miss Girl. You be right. bringing a hot lunch. <laughs> well, no, the hot lunch is the one that's that. hot. But the cold yeah. lunch. So yeah, the, the, the teacher would separate the line by cold lunch in the front, hot lunch in the back. And so we couldn't sit by each other. And oh. so she was like, you need to braid your hair and you need to get a cold lunch. And so I had my mom, like she, the, a couple times she parted my hair and she put at least 20 braids in my hair just so I felt like, but I never had, like, I've never had a weave. I've never had extensions. I've never had kind of experienced the world of hair. never done that. I've only ever had, I have had a relaxer. I have, I did yeah. go through that phase, um, but I'd never had braids. So anyway, I said, because again, same, you know, my mom, she didn't want me looking a certain way. She didn't want me be portrayed as a certain thing. It was such a negative light on right. the stereotypical quote unquote black culture. That is really a beautiful culture that I, I had to unlearn Mm -hmm. of the culture and, and relearn and understand it and also in a way kind of grieve something that I never really got a chance to be a part of um yeah. but then also realize that your blackness isn't defined and that's that's the other part of it too and exactly I think that's, that's something I really want right the code switching yeah or, like that's yeah. what I really want to go into because the other side of that and I swear I'm gonna, I'm gonna stop talking in a second but the other side of that was because I was so you know guarded from not dressing appearing and sounding a certain way mm -hmm. but from my parents I would run into the majority of the black people that I tried to hang around besides maybe one or two telling me that I wasn't black enough that I was an oreo that I you know which you yeah. know on the outside white on the inside um that I wasn't one of them that I thought I was too cute oh look at her she has good hair she don't think she need a weave she don't think she need braids she thinks she better than us and I really didn't obviously um but so I, I was met with a lot of you know inter bully bullying and and I struggled because I grew up in such a predominantly white area that I really felt like I wasn't black enough. I didn't think that I should even go to an HBCU, a historically black college or university, even though my mom, my mom, both of my parents went to HBCUs. So that was all my family knew. And they were, they were adamant that I go to an HBCU and I, I would push back and say, well, I wasn't, I, I, I how am I going to go to an HBCU? Right, how am I I've been fit told, in? right. All my life that I'm not black enough. So I really had to learn um, and come to grips with over the past, I would say 15 years that my blackness is not defined by how I sound, mm -hmm. what I wear, how my hair looks, et cetera, what music I listen to. And that I think is one of the biggest negative stereotypes or negative. I don't even know if it's a stereotype, but just placing us in a box. Thing, yeah. Thing that yeah, happens in our own community because right. the outside world of the white supremacist society placed us in these boxes then much of the black community thinks that that's all that we fit into and then if you don't check off these certain rules within these boxes then uh, you're not black enough you're as if your blackness can be can be defined by a stereotype and that's right. that's a problem which is the other side that I wanted to touch on when you were talking about kind of like the bullying like mm -hmm. from 
the the black community around you and how you know you're not black enough you're not this I wanted to say to people listening that that is also to no fault of those children that is also on their end them being taught harmful stereotypical toxic learning from their family Mm -hmm. so they're being told like this is how you act this is how you dress this is what you wear I wouldn't even say family I would say media yes the world and and lack of representation of anything if that's all we said this in the last episode if that's all we see then that's who we're then that's who we're gonna conform to and 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 while yes of course there is a very huge you know, culture within lower income communities of color. Right. That's where hip hop was birthed. That's where a large part of black culture was birthed. That is a segment of black culture. Oh yeah, but, for sure. And yeah. then I know like, especially during our era of upbringing, you know, the, there was a big like hip hop influence and, you know, BET and, and a lot of that really influenced like the things that we wore and, right. and what we, you know, the BET 106 in part countdown when you come home from school, like that was Love a big deal. Yes. <laughs> and um, so I, I just wanted to note that for listener, non-Black listeners who are like listening to, you know, maybe you tell that story and thinking, oh, those children are awful. But no, they are also being hurt in the same way that we were being hurt by, by our parents unknowingly. Because, mm-hmm. you know, I, I want to make that clear that they were not maliciously or intently hurting us, but it that it, in the end, it's hurtful. It's hurtful um, right. terminology and, and, and the way that they were teaching. So mm-hmm. um, yeah, they, they, the putting in the box, I think that's a big one. I think for us to really break down because society puts us in a box media puts us in a box our own family and community puts us in a box and mm-hmm. so that is I believe that's why there's still that's why we're still saying the first black this and the first black that because yeah. we've been put in a box and we've been held down in the box and then we've been told and then we tell those the the generations you know after us that no this is the box that you need to be in you don't you don't come out we don't do that that's not for us or how many times have you heard you, black people say uh-uh that's white people stuff <laughs> like we could be talking about I remember like when I was like really got into like hiking and stuff love like no okay not extreme hiking we're not like hiking up mountains or anything for me anyways but I remember when I really started like hiking and like really liking the outdoors and hearing people be like oh that's white people stuff we don't want to be hiking you know mm-hmm. and I'm just like why do we give the white community so much power um, mm-hmm. I think I talked about this when Jay Sean started golfing, you know, which is seen as a white sport. And I'm like, we need to decolonize these spaces. But I think it's important to understand why we think these things. And it's not just because oh, we're trying to give white folks power. There's a right. couple of things going on here. One, I have like three points to make. It's like one, for example, with golf or tennis or other predominantly white sports predominantly white sports are the sports that are the most expensive to play yes so that is where that is why white people continue to dominate those sports Mm -hmm. i i alone i being a former tennis player who desperately wants to put her children in tennis the state i live in right now there's not nearly as many i find to be quite interesting actually because minnesota another thing that just the Twin Cities does so well. I just, anyway, but I find it interesting that 
there's like bare nary a tennis bubble where I live. Like there's a few, but really? like where like there's not as many as there was back home. Back home, it's tennis bubbles everywhere. Tennis, tennis clubs, and back home, you didn't have to like be a member of the tennis club to right, rent out that's space. So expensive. You can go and my my dad and I would just go rent court time, indoor tennis, of course, because we you know we live in the tundra, so you're not playing outdoor tennis as often as you would right. in a warmer state. So, but renting out court time wasn't a big deal. There was lots of inner city uh, tennis, te- lots of tennis teams. That was a huge thing. Like there's lots, lots of tennis teams and it, yeah, we had to pay for like a tennis lessons, but there was an inner city tennis league. And as a result, it was like, not as, ex- you know, it was, it was all kids of color. It wasn't as right. expensive. We didn't have to be members. They tried of to cater club. to the, the community. Right. That is not where I live at all. I cannot afford to be paying a couple hundred dollars a month to be a part of a fancy tennis club and then pay a couple hundred dollars more a month on top of that for the lessons for my children. Right. And at this age, kidding me. to say that the kids are even, that's, that's my that's problem ridiculous. with like putting all of this money into these sports. Like, so after I've invested thousands and thousands of dollars in the sport, who's to say my kid's going to want to play the sport in the end. Right. And then exactly. I've invested yeah. all it's, these thousands of dollars, right, which I right. don't have the so, privilege so, to do. But that, that being said, like it, the privilege part, right? So these sports are predominantly dominated by white people. White folks, yeah. And black, we use these terminologies like this a white person thing as a defense mechanism because we weren't given That's the true. opportunity, the liberty, the, the, the representation, the power to be able to invest in something like golf. All mm. we had in our neighborhoods were some basketball hoops that's free to go down to the basketball hoop and to learn how and and to be taught how to play by yourself that's why we excel at the sports we excel at because that was the that was where the self-thought so so then when black people see other black people going outside of a norm in a way that makes them feel like like low-key on the lowest of keys jealous but they Mm. would never admit that so what you, what do you do? You project that into judgment. You project right. that insecurity. You, you project that, you know, hurt people, other, hurt people. Right. Exactly. So right. that's, that's why that exists. And even with something like, you know, outdoors types of things, well, the outdoors, we as black people are the only, I could be wrong when I say this, but I don't think I am. We are the only ethnic group. Mm-hmm. that has the level of texture to our hair that we have the only one I the level agree. of texture yes yes we yes hair comes in all different colors but asian communities have dark hair but it's straight and thick but it's still straight we are the only ones that have that level of texture to the point where whether our hair is wet outdoors in is our hair is very sensitive to that right? Yeah, for sure. Everybody else, even other communities of color, indigenous, um, Hispanic communities, Latinx communities. um, Of course, we know Caucasian community, even if you have curly hair, it's still not the same. A curly hair on a white person or Hispanic person is not going to have the same texture and the same needs Mm -hmm. as someone with African ancestry or yeah, African, African, black diaspora ancestry so that being said 
the way we handle the outdoors has always had to be very different. Oh yeah. And we have to cater to that. Right. But does the rest of the world cater to the way that we have to handle things? Not even just our hair, the way our skin reacts to bug bites, the way our scars show up on our skin. This is where I had, I had beef with my, with my daughter's teacher. And one of the reasons why I pulled them out of the school, because it was a very like nature-based school, but they were getting so many mosquito bites. And of course these children are scratching up the wazoo and then they're getting these big old black, black marks that look like birthmarks or bruises on their skin mm-hmm. because we know the way that these things show up on dark skin. On us, the yeah. world does not cater to dark skin. And so I had to say to the teacher, like, well, are you putting the, bu-? I asked you to put bug spray on them immediately before they go out and to keep applying it because they, and I, ha- I got that, well, you know, this is just summertime in your, in our area. We just have to deal with it. We've always dealt with high levels of mosquitoes. My girls get bites too. And I, that's no, 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 boo. I don't, you don't understand a bug bite on a black girl is going to, is going to yield a different result, yeah. right? Going out in the woods and having our hair rained on or having, you know, a tick, God forbid, get in my daughter's thick, thick textured hair. Mm-hmm. Like I'll never find it. These right. are the types of things that, that we have to think about that nobody else will have to think about these things, but us. So I understand where these things come from because we are just now figuring out how to navigate our hair, through. right? We're not, you know what I'm saying? Like we're just now realizing within the last 10 years, oh, I can do a wash and go. Like that was a right. unheard thing of 20 years ago. I could do a wash I and think because we're finally like starting to, we're starting to resist, you know, mm-hmm. before we were, there was that conform, like, no, straighten your hair. It's more professional. You'll fit in. The white folks will accept you more, you know, be more acceptable to you. Um, but now it's just kind of like, um, I don't, I don't care what the white folks have to say. This but is I, my hair. I'm learning hand, though. I'm learning it. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm coming into my own and I think people are starting to really, I've, I've noticed in the last like five to 10 years, Black people are really learning to love their natural hair. Absolutely. But I, I think it's a both and because not only that, but we also didn't have the under the understand we as we've evolved as a, as generations have evolved, we've had more understanding of our hair too. So I think Oh, for know, sure. Because moms used to perm hair just because it was easier. Right. Exactly. There were so many there moms that, that did that. I, how else am I gonna get a comb to this hair? Right. I'm gonna take that hot comb to it because that's how Madam CJ Walker helped us figure out that there was a way that we could manipulate our, so it's, it's just been evolving, you know, mm-hmm. because even, even black hairstyles in the sixties and seventies were very different from white hairstyles, right. you know, the process, getting the process done, getting that, getting that relaxer in your hair wasn't all, I think, is it, was there a level of conformity? Sure. But yeah, I think it sure. was also just this was the black, this was black culture at that time, because it wasn't like white men were getting processes. I'm, you know what I'm saying? Like, of course that made their hair look more white and look more appealing, but I think it was also the way that black folks could take something that felt like, what do we do with this besides Mm -hmm. plait it? Right. And now we have something else besides braids if we want to right. do something else and we kind of diversify that. our options. right you know and then of course with the 70s was the rise of the fro so I think I don't think this is the first time that we've embraced our natural hair but I think it I think we had I the natural hair movement 
it ebbs and flows. And then all of a sudden when the 90s, when the 80s and 90s hit, it was kind of like, ooh, let's go that's back to, that's too right. much. Exactly. It was, it was, it was a little too much. So we went back to the, 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 the conforming, but don't get me wrong. Conforming's always been in it. It's always been rooted in what is the, the deemed beauty, you know, be, um, excuse me, um, the, um, the ideal beauty, t- beauty type of the time. Right. right so right. of course, as that has progressed too. And all every single era, you can see that it's obviously a white woman and what does she look like? And so black people try to figure out their way to kind of match that so that they can be themselves, they can have black culture, but it can also still measure up to whiteness. Right. In a way. We can't ever take out the fact that so measuring up to whiteness has always been a part of it. Right. Cause that's the beauty standard. Mm-hmm. Um, I do, I do want to add though that if you do see a black woman with straight hair, that doesn't necessarily mean that she's conforming, right? I think it's also important to know, especially in today's days and times where, you know, before maybe when we were talking about levels of conforming, some of our ancestors did not have that choice. And some of them were doing it for their safety and, you know, to, to, you know, tame it down and tone it, tone it down a bit. But some, some black people might just wear their hair straight because they want to wear their hair straight and that's how they like it. Some black people are wearing weaves. That, I, I think there's also that, that, that misunderstanding that black women now are like wearing weaves because they don't love their natural hair. They don't love themselves. Oh. Maybe she's wearing weaves because uh, A, it might just be easier to braid it up and not yeah. have to deal with it. I think about that often. Like um, the first time I ever got braids was in my adulthood. It was like, couple years ago actually and I was like oh I don't have to do my hair every day right wait a second I'm not brushing and combing this thing like this is yeah like sometimes black people there there's there's a reason for our hair and I won't go too far into that because that is a whole nother episode there's a reason for our hair and sometimes there's not a reason sometimes that's we we feel like we look good and that's what we choose to do so we'll we'll do a black hair episode Yes. Um, in the near future. So we're not going to dwell on this too much, but right. that is, that is a huge part that play, you know, a huge piece of the puzzle when it comes to blackness and stereotypes and everything else. Mm-hmm. And that, you know, it started with the whole, like, I didn't wear my hair a certain way. So that means I right. wasn't black so much there. Um, but that just goes to show how, you know, white, white stereotypes, projected onto the black community then turn into harm within the right. community um is there any other stereotypes that I really come say, to your mind that you want to there's one more that I really want to touch on and the reason why I really want to go hard for this one is because this is black girl voices and you know we, we talk about girls and women and fence this one I feel to be very harmful and this one is more between mothers and daughters the mm-hmm. the black woman we already know is over sexualized mm-hmm way over sexualized because of that I feel like growing up our mothers have always tried to protect us the best way they could when it came to how we dress cover up you know how don't be fast don't do the word fast first of all is like so toxic in our community but um because of that stereotype and because of I believe how our parents and our our grandparents saw that those women or black women in general were treated, but then those women who who chose to like maybe walk around more liberated, there is a very harmful stereotype within our community about black girls and being fast. Mm -hmm. And I use the word fast, but I guess if you're not in the community, you wouldn't 
really know what fast is maybe more sexually liberated but not even liberated because sometimes we could be doing absolutely nothing and our parents would be like uh-uh, are you being fast like mm-hmm. I, it I don't really know how would you describe the term fast I'm using I would it say that, that is what was used for us you know yeah I mean I would say the term fast would just be a woman who is promiscuous in their eyes. um in the yes in in the person's eyes the in that and I I think that this is the black the black version of purity culture okay it's purity culture being huge in the white evangelical toxic community Mm -hmm. let's not forget that black folks are christian too yeah the black church is still the like the the motherland of black culture like let's be real and 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 rightfully so um and christianity dominated dominated our community just like it dominated the white community up until recent times right so the belief the toxic church belief that it's a woman who causes the man to stumble it's a woman and the way that she dresses and the way that she acts that causes the man to be sexually immoral, which is right, wrong. Right, because I can specifically remember on multiple occasions, my mom saying to like cover up or something, like we, we could be on the beach and she'd want me to cover up because you don't want men to stare at you. Mm-hmm. And okay, no, you don't. You don't want grown men staring at your daughter. I get that. But in, in the same mindset, I always wondered, even at that age, well, why why is it my fault? Like, why is it my fault that he's staring, you know? Right. Exactly. So I think this is something that has been very much in probably the majority of communities that that have religious foundation, because this is patriarchy is pretty much the, I would say the, the, like a dominant thing in most, if not, um, yeah, I would say most religious cultures. I, I don't know much about all the religious cultures, but I've definitely heard stories of toxic religious beliefs in, in, um, in religions other than Christianity that are very similar with very dominating patriarchy, even worse than Christianity, men controlling their women, et cetera, et cetera. So, um, you know, of course there's, we know there's religions where, and they, and they, and there's no shame in this, but it's just their belief that, you know, women do not uncover any part of their body unless they're at home with their husbands. Like we know that, you know? So it's not something that is unique to our community. I think what's unique to our community is just the way that, well, two things. One, it's, it's our women that are then sexualized in the media that then further the harm, right. Of, of what's, of, of that particular belief within our community, right? We know that women are sexual beings in every single community. Right. But when but then when Madonna white... wears a suit and then when Beyonce wears a suit, we sexualize Beyonce, you know? Right. And so, so yeah. So when so when white women in the media are expressing their sexuality, we know that it's praised. We know that it's it becomes a trend. We know that it is adore, it's adored. But we know that when black women are sexual, she's a, I mean, cover your ears, all kids. All of the things. But right, she's all of the things. She's a hoe. She's a thought. She's 
a slut, she's a sad in the other. And not to say that white women have not been called those things either. But this is something that is very huge in the black community. It's huge within our community does like our, our uh, unfortunately our black men really do it to us as well mm-hmm. they sexualize us it happens in our music it happens in our movies and um and and therefore making a woman feel like she can't have a an empowerment in her sexuality in in any you know in yeah in an empowerment in her sexuality in any way shape or form so that unfortunately is something that um yes like you know outside media or you know society as a whole is of course like we said does it to us but then there's an unfortunate part of you know black black men tend to prove the stereotype true sometimes not sometimes but a lot of the time right where like what mama said ends up being true like oh shoot I dressed like this and this is what happened. I didn't dress like this and this is what happened. Right. And Which is you, not true, by the way. What do you mean? Wait, like, what do you mean? Like, I dress like this and this and that. Like, as far as like, are we talking like assault type? Not assault. I'm, oh, I'm okay. saying, okay. I'm, no, no, no. I'm not saying that. I'm, I'm saying like, for example, you know, I'll, I'll just use my, my own mother, my own experiences, for example. But like, I, I too got the whole, you know, can't dress fast got to cover mm-hmm. up conversations etc cetera, etc cetera. because when I did dress more sensual mm-hmm. that is when I received more attention from men right right and my mom trying to protect me from her belief of of men and especially black men which she's not what I'm trying to say is that she wasn't totally wrong because a lot of black men really do just see black women as their next piece of you know what to grab and and have a little situation and go on about their life i would argue all men i would argue all men there yes i i yeah i should uh, but i i guess what i'm saying about that is is not that all yes you're right that all men are like that or or, i say all men but the majority of men are like that what i'm saying is that the way that black men tend to treat black women publicly within not only our media, but also like in even social media, like the way that we be dragged sometimes on social media within black Twitter, this, that, and the other, like there's, there's really like no protection whatsoever oftentimes. And it, and it's, it's not untrue that it can, that it can feel harder to find a black man that, really wants to like have a family and really like make you right right i'm not saying that it's not we know we know that's not true for all black men not saying that at all they're they're seeking that validate that white validation too so they have the power of the patriarchy behind them because they're men and then on top of that there's that other level of power too and i'm talking about the toxic you know the toxic black men there that other level of power too that they're constantly grasping at and that's the white approval and so if it means dragging their women to get it, then so, you know, so be it. Um, I mean, I think see- a lot of it is also just what, what has been passed down as well. We talked right, about in our right. last episode, generational trauma. generational trauma, generational poverty, things of that nature, those behaviors tend to follow those, those circumstances. And then the, like that's in the media, that's in our music, that's 
So it's it's the same thing. Like you're you're telling black men this is what they are, and and even telling oh, black some some black women too. Like this is what you are. This is all that you are, and you have trauma and you've been sexually exploited, sexually abused or exploited when you were younger, and it results in these behaviors. And then unfortunately, the stereotypes that were projected end up becoming reality. And so what I'm saying is like a person like me whose mom was trying to protect them from a black man, you know, doing a double take and looking at me and trying to holla and me being innocent little, you know, very, I was very, very prude guys, like prude little Caroline, not maybe knowing she was concerned that I was going to be taken advantage of, of course. And that was her way to try to protect me of that. But that does teach a harm that has a negative and harmful side effect. I'm just saying that there's unfortunate truth to it, that it's not our fault that men holla and whistle more. All men holla and whistle right, more. Right. The less clothes you have on, the more skin tight your jeans are, this, that, and the other. That's not our fault. But when you realize, that, oh, shoot, mama said that if I dress like right. this, more men and are going to try to think, oh, she was right. She was right. Let me, let right. me cover that up. Let me make sure I don't want to, because you feel concerned too. You feel right. For your like safety. you're, and then, when, and then when you realize that the men aren't protecting you, no one's coming to make sure like oh no that's not cool dog you know get your hands off of her and all you like that happened to me at Howard like I had just crossed aka thankfully uh, uh, one of my friends did did he 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 stepped in but like you know I had on a cute little I didn't really dress cute like that until I crossed aka like I really wasn't familiar with my body in a way to dress you know sensually and I was I I felt cute that day and of course that was the day that a kappa pulled me with his little his little cane (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and I was, and and try to get and I kept trying to walk away and he kept pulling me further and right. I I wasn't someone with a lot of experience so I was like you know not sure what to do and it was a party situation and thankfully one of my other friends who was a kappa came through and said nah dog you're not gonna touch her like that Mm-mm, you don't do that because right. he knew the kind of person that I was he knew that I wasn't the kind of woman that that did anything with men that was very right. well known um, but he didn't know that he thinking, oh, look, that new K she crossed. I just crossed. Oh, let me get, let me cut, you know, and I was feeling myself and my hair was straight. My makeup was on. Now I guarantee you, had I not been dressed like that, he would not have been pulling, pulling for me, you know? Right. It was unfortunate right. to feel like you have no choice, but you really do like that. It's taught. It's still, it's still so toxic. I'm just explaining that when you get in situations where you realize your parents were right. Then you don't know what to do because you want to feel liberated to dress however right. you want to dress yeah. and be whoever you want to be and not feel sexualized. But then as soon as you do, then you you do end up having a situation where you get violated. That cu- kind of closes you back up again. Right. right. I don't know if that made sense. No, it, it definitely did. I think I, I struggle with the topic in general of like sexual assault because mm-hmm. I just feel like there's so many layers to it. Yes. I know there's like a, a trend right now going around um, and it's it's basically for men, but it's like a TikTok trend and they're talking about the things that they got sexually assaulted in and like it'll be like a pair of pajamas or like a sweatshirt and a hoodie and so I oh, think yeah that doesn't matter I definitely want right, to make right. sure that's it does not that's matter. what I wanted to make Absolutely. clear what you were yes. saying is that it doesn't matter what you wear you can still be sexual so I, and and she was I I wanted I just wanted to be clear that you were just telling your story and we weren't right. like we weren't trying to place any blame on like how a woman dresses or whatever no no it's that's that's women get raped all the time for 
whatever yes. we blame rapists we don't blame sexual assault right. victims so yes. I just wanted to just add that little thing because you know sometimes people hear things and they don't I just wanted to like let people know that was like you just telling your personal story right no I I mean I think I was explaining like it's still harmful it's still wrong to right. ever put that on a woman to feel like it's her responsibility yeah. my sure. point was that that I see why our parents felt like they needed yeah. to say those things and felt like they needed to protect us in that protect way. Protect us in any way possible. Right. But it portrayed something layer. quite harmful, just like purity culture did. Mm-hmm. I can even see why with purity culture, why the initial intentions may have been to protect your daughters, mm-hmm. but it's still wrong. Hands right. down, it's still wrong. It's a man's responsibility only, not a woman, not in the way she's dressed or not dressed right. or whatever it's your responsibility ever, ever, ever. your urges absolutely you know? but so. it's unfortunate that the That's other point the being that how in. how black women are sexualized it's unfortunate that it is so common in the media it is so common to see black women being sexualized within our community and being trashed and talked about in negative ways even from our own people yeah that it makes you feel i guess my point being it makes you feel unsafe all around Right. No matter what you're wearing, no matter what you're doing, no matter who you, you know, you're going to be sexualized regardless. I, I should add that. I wasn't saying that I wouldn't have been sexualized regardless. I was saying that, that unfortunately I really, I feel like I, that is why. Right. That did make me feel like that because prior to that, I really didn't have much attention from guys. I didn't say that there wasn't, there was attention because guys are guys, but I'm saying that when right. all of a sudden that added layer of me for the first time, trying to yes. feel myself a little bit more, trying to be a little bit more adult you know I was like right. 20 years old like I was like oh look Feeling at yourself me. your body myself liberated that's like the first thing that happens that then you're like uh-uh, sweatshirt please <laughs> right that's harmful <laughs> because like you don't know what to do right mm-hmm. well so yeah that, I mean that's there's there's a lot I feel I was lot. gonna say we literally could do like a, a thousand parts to this so yeah I, we'll wrap it up here but I mean, I think the important to just like to sum up the important things that I want to to get for the takeaway of, of this episode, because it's one thing to talk about the problems. It's another thing to, of course, like have not a solution, but just and I think I think our community is doing a really good job. Our generation, we are the generation that's like, all right, we're breaking chains, guys. Right. No more drama. We're not doing here this healing. No more. OK, like we're not right. doing this anymore <laughs> And it's hard work because we are, we are literally have the trauma of however many generations back from slavery today. I don't know. I don't, I cannot count, um, but it ain't that many guys. It's not that many. It's like seven, maybe generations back, like not even 10 guys, it's not even 10, but we have all the generations of trauma on our back that we're trying to heal. Yeah. And, and try, and those of us that are raising human beings, while simultaneously trying not to pass that trauma on and knowing we're still going to pass some of it on. That is the hardest part. It's so hard. It's so ridiculously hard. We're, we're trying. So we, we, we are at least finally starting to, to make that progress, but um, it's definitely hard work, but the biggest things are just like, you know, the, the blackness stereotypes, what makes you black, what doesn't make you black based mm-hmm. on what music you listen to, what music you don't listen to, what you wear, what you don't wear. Black people come in all shapes, sizes, genders, um, sexual orientation. Black in a box. There's no, there's no box to put us in. Are there some black folks 
that are straight out the hood? Absolutely. Right. Are they any less of a person, any less valuable, any less wonderful, any less intelligent, any less anything than any other black person that may not be straight from the hood? No. Is somebody that's not straight from the hood any less black, but somebody is straight from the hood? No, no, no. Is, is, a, is a black woman who didn't wear weave in her hair any less black than a woman that wore weave in her hair? No, no, not at all. And, and there's still, we're, there, no matter what, with even though black people are not a monolith, there is still cultural commonalities among all of us. Right. And that's what makes us so beautiful and our culture is so lit. I and love reading those like trends and stuff when it's like black moms be like, and we all have the same childhood. We have the same childhood. Listen, it don't matter what part of the country you came from, what kind we of house you live in. On we, one that <laughs> would be a great episode. Oh that, my God. We, we I'm going to start combining that, them. Let's make that a, no, no, no. Hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on. Let's make that a part three to this series but it's patreon only boo oh, oh a pa- hey. y'all, listen, y'all patreon subscribers are about hey, to because you better I subscribe love those you memes. better subscribe uh you better yes, subscribe i love that <laughs> caroline's dancing right now y'all are missing it i <laughs> it's like i said on uh, i will say i did a, i did a black stereotype oh, we're gonna end it on this i i don't know if you saw my instagram stories the other day but i was like i was teaching my child in homeschool and um and every time she gets something right, I go, hey, hey, right. okay, I see you. I see you, girl. I see you. Get that A. You better say the word. You better say it. I mean, literally, the whole, like, she could just get Hyping one it thing. Up. And I'm hype. I'm literally hyping her up, gassing her up. And, I'm, and I had to get on stories. I'm like, see, this is what you're not going to get in a Caucasian homeschool. You're not <laughs> going to get this in the Caucasian homeschool. You're going to get, oh, that's a nice job, honey. But over here in this homeschool, you're going to get, hey, right <laughs> that was a black stereotype but that's that's like I feel like that's a commonality though that's that's like right. one of those common I was gonna say that's a commonality and that's like if that has to be a stereotype then I'll take it I'll take it I'll take it I love our culture I love I, I think I was telling you like our weddings oh my god we've got yeah we're definitely doing that for Patreon mm-hmm. because I'm thinking about some like wedding memes I've seen the black moms uh Thanksgiving in black households oh, oh my god. gosh Yes. Oh my! God. It's gonna be great. That's gonna yes. be good. Okay, okay, so y'all better subscribe to Patreon because that's gonna be a funny episode. <laughs> yes. All right, All right well, y'all. We'll see you guys next time. Thank you for listening to the Black Girl Voices podcast. If you loved today's episode, we would love it for you to leave us a five-star review. If you would like to support our work, visit us on Patreon at patreon.com slash blackgirlvoices or head to our show notes for the link. Lastly, we would love to hear from you. Come follow us on Instagram at blackgirlvoices and say hello. Remember, you are heard, you are seen, and you are loved. Your voice matters. You matter. See you next time.